starting, and I'm going to play that little clip because it is just so amusing. As I say, started uh, not recording anymore. So now I restarted my re recording. Oh, God, I don't know what happened on the podcast. Oh, why did it stop? Why did it stop? Okay, well, uh, well, I hit new episode. Hopefully, my old episode was still there. And now I'm recording it on the podcast, which again, you should go on anchor.fm and check out. And yeah, like I was saying, I'm back. All right, I'm back, I'm back. So all of you out there on Facebook land, there was uh, no interruption except that I interrupted by playing that because I restarted my Anchor podcast. So enough of the intro. I was talking about the Great Depression and how that led to measures that improved the lives of your everyday Americans. And now we're about to go through another, the COVID Depression. The Great Depression was partly caused by the Dust Bowl. The COVID Depression is largely caused by COVID, and it's also caused in this country by the unfortunate fact that we have a profit-based healthcare system making billions of dollars for the pharmaceutical industry, the healthcare industry, and the insurance industry. And they turn around in this corrupt country, and they take their billions of dollars, and they pay off the politicians, our corrupt politicians, so that they will continue to allow this industry to rapaciously take advantage of the health of the American public. And this is something that is called profiteering. When an intrinsically needed service or important supply that is needed by people, food, water, Healthcare, housing, in the state of an emergency. If there's an emergency and people don't have water, and all of a sudden you come out there and you start selling bottled water for $20 a bottle, that's called profiteering. So when you have a profit based healthcare, now all of a sudden, when people need treatment for COVID 19, they don't want to go in. They don't want to go into the doctors because they know that they may come out with a bill. But this happens every year. Something like 60,000 plus people die every year because they don't get the health care that, that is needed in this country. Because like I said, this is not a civilized country. This is not civilized. This is a country where if you are not employed, you can die in the street for all the rich people and the government cares. But, hey, when there's a pandemic, when there's an epidemic, those people dying in the street are also spreading it. You notice the rich and powerful are actually getting COVID-19 because once it starts spreading, they're not immune. Guess what? They're not immune. Now, it's easier for them to shelter in place. That's true. But if they're really powerful, then they've been, they've been, you know, shaking hands. They've been going to all their fancy meetings. Well, they're cutting down on that now, too, but not before 
Prime Minister uh, of England, Boris Johnson, got COVID-19. And then you've got Senator Rand Paul, who is always a libertarian, meaning that he doesn't give a damn about anybody who doesn't have money. Libertarian credo is pretty much like, I've got mine and screw everybody else. That's libertarian credo. So they're all behind this health care for the rich system that we have, this system where the goal is to make the maximum profit, have just-in-time, just-in-time supply chain. Well, just-in-time supply chain maximizes profit, yeah, for a tire company, for a company making widgets. But when you are a company that is supplying a needed service for people's lives, that's not something to mess around with. That's what democratic socialism is about. It doesn't mean you can't be a capitalist society. Germany's capitalist. Even Scandinavia is capitalist. And Canada is capitalist. And France, all of these democratic countries that have socialist health care, socialized health care, whatever you want to call it, humanitarian health care, I might call it. Well, they have capitalism. If you want to go ahead and maximize your profit making automobiles, go right ahead. More power to you. But when it comes to the health of the people, that's not something that we're going to trust to a profit-making company because the profit-making company doesn't care. You well know that a profit-oriented insurance company is going to drop your coverage when you no longer are making a profit for them. And they can do it. And they do it all the time. So you're paying in your dues. You're paying in your insurance premiums. But then all of a sudden you get sick and, whoa, what do you know? Well, first of all, they put a lot of paperwork in the way and they try to block your access to care and they try to limit your access to care. And then, well, if you're still getting care and you're costing too much for them, they'll just plain cut off your coverage. Yeah, you can die for all they care. That's right, because they're not in the business of saving people's lives. They're in the business of making a profit. That's why you cannot entrust that to a profit-making company. Now, to me, you know, this this is like this is like elementary. Um, to me, this is elementary, and it's obvious. But the apologists for this for this system. The apologists for this system, the ones who just want it to go on, are trying to make up every excuse. And I've heard them say that they think that the organization is run more efficiently by a private organization that is seeking a profit. Efficiently for profit, not efficiently to save people's lives. And Profit-making companies, as I already mentioned, do not want to have excess inventory. So they don't want to have excess ventilators. They're not going to keep those in stock. They don't want to have excess masks and excess protective gear for their doctors and nurses. That's not a profit center for them. So they're not going to do it. And they didn't do it. And that's why they're woefully unprepared when a 
emergency, a national emergency like a pandemic happens, and this is predictable. This is going to happen. But they're not prepared for that. And then they're going to run to the U.S. government and beg for help because they weren't prepared. And then the U.S. government is going to pour trillions to try to mitigate this. But then, because it's run by corrupt politicians who are working for the 1%, who are working for the oligarchs, who are working for the big money in this country, because they work for these people, they're going to make sure that while they toss the crumbs to the population, like, we'll give you some unemployment, we'll grudgingly give you some unemployment, We'll send you a little $1,200 check. How far is that going to go in the Bay Area? Not far. It's not going to even get to pay the rent for most people. April 1st, April Fool's Day, your rent is due and you're unemployed. That's an April Fool's right there. All over the country, people can't pay their rent. Is there any support from the government on that? No, there isn't. So it's here to support the rich. And what do they do? They put in what's called a half, half a billion, half a trillion, $500 billion to bail out. That's the word they use. Big industry and big business. Big industry and big business that took the massive tax cuts that Herr Trump gave to them and the Republican Party that talk about a corporatist party. Well, yes, the Democrats are corporatists but the Republicans are straight up the party of the rich and make no bones about it. So they took that and they ran with it. And they knew that people are desperate. And they knew that the Democrats were going to have to fold. Well, thank goodness Bernie at least fought for the additional unemployment insurance because they didn't want to give us that. But they had to let that huge $500 billion, which actually is leveraged into trillions because comes in the form of loans that go interest-free to banks that they can then gamble with, that they're not going to have to pay back. It turns into trillions. And then they say they're going to lend banks up to $1 trillion, $1 trillion a day? But then when you say, well, what about Medicare for all? We need Medicare for all to protect the population. These apologists... These bald-faced hypocrites turn around. They say, well, how are you going to pay for that? It's going to break the budget. They've been paying trillions for these wars in Afghanistan and in Iraq for years. They pay trillions to the inflated budget for military and for defense that isn't even audited, where billions and perhaps trillions disappear. I remember when Rumsfeld slipped and said some ridiculous number, like 15 trillion is unaccounted for. And you know that goes on and on. Trillions and trillions dumped away to whatever kind of fraud is going on in the defense budget, in the Pentagon. Whatever kind of immense fraud is happening in the banking sector, taking those trillions. But Medicare for all to protect our population? No, we can't pay for that. No, how the hell are we going to pay for that? And we've got Biden, Biden, cowardly Biden, who's over there saying, oh, Medicare for all wouldn't help this. No. And this guy is stumbling and bumbling. He's addled his brain is addled and it turns out he's a sexual predator too that's right look it up 
Joe Biden is a sexual predator. Well, back when they had the hearings for, uh, for uh, what, what was that fool? What was that ass who was Brett Kavanaugh, who's now on the Supreme Court? When they had the hearings for that, we had the Democrats come up and say, you should listen to Christine Blasey Ford. And well, you should, because women do not come out and make false accusations. Yes, they want to jump on, you know, the people who are defending the sexual harassers are going to say, oh, look, there's this tiny percentage of women who actually make false accusations. Tiny, tiny percentage. And actually the percentage of men who have been sexual aggressors and sexual harassers who want to defend other sexual harassers is a lot higher than the number of women who have filed false accusations. That is an incredibly low number, and you can look up the exact numbers if you want to. But at the time, the Democrats came up, and rightly so, and said a woman should be believed when she makes those accusations. And you go ahead, and you make an investigation of those accusations. And when, <laughs> when we had the lawyer from the Republicans in the Brett Kavanaugh hearing come up and start to ask Brett some difficult questions about, well, what about those friends that you wrote about in your book, in your little notebook back then at the time, they cut her off because, oh, wait a minute, we don't, this is looking like a real investigation here. Don't, don't ask about that. No, no, this is a cover-up. The Republicans wanted to cover up. At the time, those Democrats, and I supported them, said, you know, you should believe them. By the way, Joe Biden, back when we had the, uh, the hearings for another ultra-conservative judge back there, and there were sexual harassment allegations against that judge, Joe Biden, during those hearings, and that is uh, the hearings that were for, uh, and I'm looking this up because, uh, you know, I'm on a rant here, Anita Hill, right? When Anita Hill was testifying, in the hearings against, uh, you know, that that uh, Supreme Court nominee, and who was being being vetted, and that was, uh, and I'm looking at this up in the article, and boy, we gotta we gotta really go down in the article. They really don't want to name the Supreme Court justice, and I know you guys all out there. Have the have his name right on the tip of your tongue, and I'm I'm just uh, scrolling down because his name Clarence Thomas, Clarence Thomas, one of the most conservative, and by that I mean extreme, extreme conservative, reactionary judges who's against freedom to choose, who's against protecting voters' rights, who's against bringing our voter system to a state where we could be protected from fraud. You know, the U.S. for years has been going overseas and has been observing elections all over the world to see whether there was fraud. And again, the incredible hypocrisy because the United Nations and generally accepted standards of fraudulent elections, which the U.S. has subscribed to 
and does subscribe to when they go over to foreign elections because they're hypocrites, goes over there and they, they look at exit polls and they say, hey, a greater than a 4% variation from the exit polls is probably indicative of fraud. And that's what's happening here. And you can check the exit polls recently at the Democratic primaries in Texas. You can check them in other primaries that we've had. And you can go back to 2016 and you can see what happened there. And there was fraud happening. Why even the intelligence agencies here, the U.S. intelligence agencies, which, you know, we can't really trust them, but on certain things, they do tend to be accurate. And they, when they're assessing items of national security, they tend to go towards the accurate side on the bare facts. And for instance, they're the ones who came up with and found the fact that uh, Russian agents had hacked the um, Democratic servers at the DNC, that corrupt DNC. Don't touch your face, y'all. And they had found that. And they have, U.S. intelligence agencies have already pointed out in briefings to Congress that our election system is not secure against fraud. That's right, it is not. And certain members of Congress brought up a bill to try to protect our election system against fraud, but the Republicans, and you can look at quotes from the Republicans, a lot of the time they tell the truth. In fact, Trump even told the truth. He even tells the truth once in a while, and but mostly lies. And said, oh, we don't want everyone to vote. He said, uh, you know, wow, the, the Democrats wanted to put in voting protections and increase voting in this country so that Republicans would never win another election. Why? Because the vast number of people, as the parrots fly overhead, bless you parrots, the blast, vast number of people in this country who are denied voting are people who are too poor or they're of the wrong race, or they have not been able to get the documentation needed because it's difficult to go to get a driver's license when there's only two department motor vehicles open within hundreds of miles. You live 50 miles from the nearest department motor vehicles. Maybe you don't even drive. You don't have a car and you got to work every day because you're poor. So you can't make it out there. And then the Republicans pass a law to make sure that you can't vote without that, without that ID. So in that way, they try to assure that the poor people, and the poor people tend to, in a majority, be people of color and people of minorities, because that's how the inequality in this country has worked historically and continues to uh, work slash not work for most of the people. So they don't want to protect election security. But meanwhile, the Democrats also take advantage of holes in election security so that they can defeat the one that they are afraid of, Bernie Sanders, because he's the only one who's honest. Nobody can... can deny that. Bernie Sanders is the honest candidate. Bernie Sanders is the only one who's not a corporatist candidate. 
He's the only one who didn't sell out, who's not a sellout. He's the only one who will unflinchingly fight and has unflinchingly fought and will not change how he fights those moneyed powers. And that's why they are scared. And that's why they do everything to stop him. And those moneyed powers, they include the big media outlets. And they include the Democratic National Committee. And most of those corrupt Democratic politicians, including Joe Biden, but he's really, he's not running his own campaign. It's run by the DNC. He's not competent to run his own campaign. It's clear. You can go look up the blooper reels on your own. He is not competent. But besides that, he's also a sexual harasser. Besides that, he's he supported the crime bill. That's why we have mass incarceration, which once again hits mostly people of color and minorities in this country. And he's the one. And he just stood there and just outright lied through his teeth in the last Democratic debate where Bernie Sanders went ahead and said, you suggested that you could cut Medicare and you could cut Social Security. And Biden said, I never did that. Well, you can look up the clip on your own. And Bernie Sanders at the time said, look it up on the YouTube. Well, you know, a lot of people aren't going to look it up on the YouTube, but you can. What he should have done is actually quoted Joe Biden. Uh, you know, and I, I'm looking up this, uh, this quote, uh, quote uh, to cut. You know, Social Security, as I look up this quote. And his quote was, uh, there, let's see, by PolitiFact, fact checks here. And uh, leading up to the primaries in Florida, current ad, Biden from 1995 saying, and you can look up this clip, when I argued that we should freeze federal spending, I meant Social Security as well. I'm quoting Joe Biden. I meant Medicare and Medicaid. I meant veterans' benefits. I meant every single solitary thing in the government. And I not only tried it once, I tried it twice. I tried it a third time. I tried it a fourth time. That was Joe Biden, quoted, 1995. Then you quote him from, from the primary. Biden said, I never, never tried to cut Social Security. Why, in 1973, uh, in the 80s and the 90s, Biden spoke in favor of freezes. Uh, in 1984, he said the only way that Congress will ever be able to come to grips with deficits is be de dealing with the federal programs as a package. In 84, Biden proposed uh, broadly freezing federal spending, which would have meant no Social Security cost of living adjustments. That was defeated. In 95, he voted in favor of an amendment to exclude reducing Social Security benefits in any legislation to implement a balanced budget. Huh. But he ultimately supported the balanced budget amendment when its final form didn't include the exemption. He suggested cutting the cost of living adjustment in 1996. He supported a balanced budget amendment. There was a backdoor to cuts to Social Security. So he turned around. He turned around. But when he said that he never, never supported cutting Social Security, 
He just outright lied. And that's what he does when his back is to the wall, Joe Biden. He lies. He's lied about a lot of other things. So he wanted to do that. He buddy-buddied up to Southern racists. You can look that up. He was against busing. Now he tries to say, oh, but that was forced integration that wasn't going to work. <sighs> he was against busing. He was against integration. The others who were against busing were Southern racists, which Biden went ahead and said that they were his friends. You know, Biden's friends were Southern, southern racists. Uh, you know, uh, such as, you know, he, he, made, he made statements about surrogates. You know, he said, uh, yeah. he insinuated, yeah, you know, back then, Biden was saying that he was friends with, uh, with uh, civility. He said that he, oh, he had civility working with past racist senators, past racist senators like, uh, and I'm looking this up here uh, as, as I speak to you. Uh, Jesus, all right. Well, uh, I hate to say look it up on the YouTube, so I'm probably going to say look it up on the YouTube because I got four minutes to go in my in my show tonight but uh yeah oh here's one yeah uh the the mississippi senator the 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 mississippi senator from 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 aid from your who always was a racist yeah he, he said i was in a caucus with uh james o eastland he never called me boy he always called me son he said, imitating the southern drawl of the Mississippi senator. He also referenced Herman Talmadge, a Georgia senator who supported segregated schools. You go down the list of those guys, Biden said, well, guess what? At least there was some civility. Yeah, there was some civility towards Joe Biden. Yeah, Simone Sanders said, yeah. He said, sometimes in Congress you have to work with downright racist folks to get things done. Yeah, he was an apologist for Southern racists. And you might also say that that is part of the reason he was picked as President Obama's running mate to try to assuage some of those racist doubts about electing a black man. Or they're like, oh, well, you know, Joe Biden, you know, he's, he's not, he, he showed that he's on the white man's side before. So, you know, if he's a President Obama's running mate, then maybe it's okay. Okay, that may be some speculation, but uh, that could be a reason. Well, back to some uh, COVID, how to, how to destroy COVID. Yeah, to keep in mind, the COVID, it lives for about three hours on fabric and porous surfaces, about four hours in copper and wood, about 24 hours on cardboard, about 42 hours on metal. 72 hours on plastic. Keep that in mind. So your clothes are going to be COVID-free after three hours or so. You know, uh, other surfaces might be 24 hours. Plastic, 72 hours. So watch out for those plastic surfaces. Don't shake it. 
they remain stable and cold. Air conditioners, they need moisture to stay stable and darkness. So in a hot, dry environment, the COVIDs can degrade faster. That's some of the reasons that in those hot, dry climates, they're not going to have as fast to spread, most probably. That seems to have been borne out so far. It's not like there's no cases in Africa, but there are less cases in Africa. And they saw what happened during the Ebola crisis in some of those areas. They already know about testing. So some other things, spirits and vodka aren't going to kill it. Virus can't go through healthy skin. The more confined the space, the more the concentration of the virus. Stay in open, naturally ventilated areas if you can. Wash your hands. Watch out for food. Uh, locks, knobs, switches, remote control, cell phone. Wash your hands. If you're the only one touching it, should be okay. So, you know, that was finishing up. And if you heard earlier, I started down the list about how the virus is mostly made of fat. If you use things that kill the fat, then it's going to kill the virus. I'm going to end my Facebook Live right now. Thank you all my friends on Facebook for staying with me. So, that's ended. And now I'm about to end my podcast as well. So, I'm going to post the podcast. So, posting that. For all my podcast listeners, thank you. Thank you for being here. Come back next Wednesday, and I'll be here again. Love you all. Peace and love. Stay healthy. Richard Rance, signing off. Peace out.